This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. Awesome. Great job. Life Recovery event is Tuesday, the 14th of March. Just making sure you all know that. Tuesday, the 14th of March. Awesome. Everyone good? Great. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you or behind you or in front of you and just say hello. If maybe you've not met them before. Maybe you're the first person to say hello to them today. Maybe you know hello in a different language and you could say hello to them in a different language. That's great. <laughs> Brilliant. And a huge hello to everyone watching at home as well. Why don't we just turn around and wave to everyone at home watching live right now on the YouTube. And hello to the Yellow Room as well. The Yellow Room, the Yellow Room is uh, joining us from upstairs. They're watching this. They're engaging with this, but they've got hot chocolate and toast. I'm sorry about that. Fantastic. Great. Wonderful. Well, we are continuing our Jesus First series, uh, which Brian started brilliantly uh, last week. We're going to be going to the book of uh, Philippines uh, shortly. But I just wanted to articulate again why this theme is so uh, important to us. And maybe on social media this week, you've seen our uh, Jesus First devotional videos that we've been putting out there. They are brilliant. Uh, if you've not seen them, they're flying around WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram. Um, so, yeah, do engage with those. They're uh, excellent. Different members of our community sharing why Jesus First is so important to them and what Jesus First means to them. Uh, and one of them, Marina's, I think Marina did hers on, uh, I think it was Friday uh, that it went live on social media. Marina talked about seeking first the kingdom of God and why for her that's so important, that's central to her life. And Jesus first to her means seeking first the kingdom of God. If we're seeking first the kingdom, that implies that there's a king. And here at Life Church, we recognize it's King Jesus. Jesus first. Jesus first, foremost, and central, as Pat shared a few weeks ago when he didn't know the Jesus first theme for this year. Jesus first, foremost, and central, that we seek first the kingdom of God. And uh, a few years ago, me and Bryony were on a marriage retreat. Uh, with, a, with another couple, and it was a really great time. And I'd really encourage you, invest in the things that matter most. What matters most to you in your life? Who matters most to you in your life? Well, I'd really encourage you, invest in that. Invest in that relationship. Invest in that priority. So for me and Brian, marriage is really important. Our marriage is really important. So we went on this marriage retreat with this uh, other Christian couple, and uh, they led us through this uh, few-day retreat just to invest and to think and to focus on our marriage. It was really great. And one of the questions they asked us quite early on was, uh, what is the vision for your marriage or what is the theme for your marriage? Maybe you've never thought about that kind of thing before. Maybe you're not married. Um, and this question still applies to you. You know, what is the theme of your life? When you think about your finances, today's vision offering, when you think about your finances, what's your theme? What's your focus? What's your vision for your finances? When you think about your home, the home that you live in, the street that you live on, the community that you're a part of, the job that you do, if you're single or married um, or whatever kind of relationship you're in, you know, what is the theme? What is the focus? What is the vision? And so for us, our answer was seek first. That was our, you know, we came up with that independently and then together we said, that's the theme. 
That's the vision for our marriage, to seek first the kingdom of God. And as Bryony said last week, that's become the theme of our parenting. We're not perfect parents. Our children in the room, uh, they can attest to that. We're not perfect parents, but we're trying to frame our parenting on. We seek first the kingdom of God. With our finances, with our giving, with our vocation, with everything we're trying to do in life, we're trying to say, how can this be framed by seeking first the kingdom of God? So as Brian said, when we were thinking about this year, thinking about our first year uh, leading this church and this community that's so precious to us, when we thought, what is the focus? What's the theme? What else could we say? I think someone said to me the other week, uh, a vision, was it Vision Sunday last week? Feels like a long time ago. Someone said to me, what else could the theme have been than Jesus first? And I, I, I agreed. And then I said, what are we going to do next year? When you do Jesus first on, year, on the first year, what do you do on year two? Anyway, we'll think about that later. But Jesus first, that is the theme, seeking first the kingdom of God. And so I just throw that out there to you as a, maybe a bit of a challenge, something to chew on today or this week. What's the theme of your home, your marriage, your relationships, your finances, your giving, your vocation? What's your vision? What's your theme? And what would it look like if Jesus first, if seeking first the kingdom of God was the focus of all of that? So as I said earlier, we're going to go to the book of Philippines, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this book in AD uh, 60. We'll come to that scripture in a moment. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, this book in about AD 60. Uh, and this was the first church that Paul planted uh, in Europe uh, in the town called Philippi. The first church that Paul planted in Europe. And you can read this story for yourself in Acts 16. It's, a, it's an incredible story. So that's one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts where Paul goes to Philippi, uh, meets a group of believers, and then plants a church in the home of Lydia. I'll, I'll let you read that story for yourself. In Life Group this week, there's going to be a few options, you know, like choose your own adventure. So in Life Group this week, if you want to go on a deeper Bible study, there's going to be a few scriptures where if you want to go a deep dive into the church in Philippi, you can go down that route in, in Acts 16. And if not, well, that's up to you. But today, we're in Europe Anyone ever forget that? We're in Europe. <laughs> We're in Europe. Here we are. 2,000 years ago, AD 60, Paul uh, planted this first church in Philippi. And here we are today. There's now millions of Christians in Europe. But it all began here. And this letter, in a lot of ways, this letter is a letter of affection between Paul and this church in Philippi. He, he went there. He stayed there for a few years. He got to know the people in Philippi. And right now, when Paul's writing this letter, so the words that we're going to read in a moment are written by a real person called Paul. And he was in prison when he wrote these letters. Uh, sorry, when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. He was in prison under house arrest, about to face the emperor Nero. And we're going to think more about Nero later. He's under house arrest. Other Christians are being killed for their faith. And Paul uh, is being visited by one of the leaders of the church in Philippi. They've risked their life to come and see Paul, and they brought him a gift. And so he writes a letter back to thank them for the gift. And the letter is full of affection, full of love for the believers in Philippi, and a call to unity, a call to turn away from false teaching, and a call to unity in Christ. That's the context for this letter. And in this letter... This isn't the main focus today, but when we think about Jesus first, 
Paul. For Paul, it's Jesus first. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 10. I want to know him. This is Paul's heart cry. This is Paul's heart declaration. Maybe this is yours as well today. If you ask Paul what was his vision for life, he would say, Jesus first. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and even participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 11. And so, somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Here's Paul in change, uh, chains. Here's Paul in suffering. And Paul is saying, I want to know him. What about you today? I want to know him. Paul wrote this letter awaiting trial under the emperor Nero. Now, just a quick word on Nero. Nero in history is remembered as the persecutor of the Christians. Emperor Nero, he wanted to get rid of this small, strange movement, this Jewish movement that was growing and was causing a problem for the empire. And it became known as Christians, the Christian movement. And so Nero's goal was to rid the empire of this movement and take out the troublemakers, take out the leaders, Paul, Peter, and the others. That was Nero's aim, was to quash this movement called Christianity. Well, it didn't happen, did it? Nero's attempts to kill the church, Nero's attempts to rid the empire of the church only spread it. It only spread the empire. So it only spread. The empire's ended. The Roman Empire's long gone. It's a thing that we look back to in history. But the church of Jesus Christ is going from strength to strength. So in that context, Paul in prison, awaiting trial, facing the persecutor of the early church, Nero, These are the words that Paul wrote. This is Philippians 2, 5 to 11. And actually, this might be familiar to you. you. We know this is a song. This is a psalm of praise. This is a song of worship that Paul wrote from prison. Philippians 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Wow. I don't know about you, but I think we should give a round of applause to the Word of God. That's so good, isn't it? That is so good. Philippians 2 verse 5, it starts with this word, in your mindset. Another translation says, in your attitude. I saw uh, one of our uh, live kids today with a jumper that says, gratitude is the new attitude. I love that. In your mindset, in your attitude, in your approach, in your worldview, with your lens, in your posture, you can have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This isn't a commandment. This isn't Paul saying, you must think like Jesus. He's saying, it's an invitation. He's saying, you can take on the mind of Christ. You can think like Jesus. 
You can approach your decisions with the lens of Jesus, with the mindset of Jesus. You can approach your relationships. You can see other people like Jesus sees them. The vision is Jesus. But I just want to encourage you, the lens, the lens is Jesus. The vision is Jesus. That's who we're pursuing. But also the lens of your life can be Jesus. You can see the world around you. You can see suffering. You can see scripture. You can see God. You can see others. You can see them all through the lens of Jesus. Make your mindset, your attitude, your approach that of Jesus. And 6 to 11, the rest of this beautiful song of worship. Again, I want to remind us where Paul wrote this. Paul's a real person in a real place. He's in prison, about to face the, a trial with the Emperor Nero, who isn't um, letting Christians just get on with their lives. He's trying to kill Christians. Imagine a Christian right now in North Korea or Iran or Afghanistan or somewhere where the, uh, where the church is persecuted. Imagine, imagine right now a believer in one of those places, in fear for their lives, in threat uh, of the emperor, of the powers that be, declaring Jesus is Lord. Declaring that he is the name above all names. Not the emperors who exalt themselves. Not the powers that be. But actually Paul is saying, Emperor Nero will bow one day. All the emperors, all the leaders, all those who exalt themselves will all bow one day to the name that is above all names. And his name is Jesus. This song of praise includes the whole gospel. It's incredible. It talks about the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the future hope of Jesus. Paul says a lot in a short space of time. Philippians 2 verse 5 to 11 declares, Jesus is what God looks like. I love that. Philippians 2 verse 5 to 11, it declares, Jesus is what God looks like. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Look at the life of Jesus, the actions of Jesus. Look how Jesus treats other people. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. As the biblical scholar Tom Wright says, as you look at the incarnate Son of God dying on the cross, the most powerful thought you should think is, this is the true meaning of who God is. He is the God of self-giving love. Jesus is what God looks like. That's what the Apostle Paul communicates in this song of praise. Jesus is what God looks like. Jesus is humility. That's what we see again in this, in this beautiful song of praise. Jesus is humility. Now, just for a moment, I want us to think about something that's happening right now, uh, an awakening, um, an outpouring on a student on a university campus with a group of students in Asbury, Kentucky. There's something happening at the moment, and, and we're seeing something happening across the earth where people are getting together and they're worshiping and they're praying. And uh, we're going to just see, as I'm talking, just an image of this in the background. Now, this is the queue. Inside the chapel a few weeks ago, a group of students gathered together to pray and worship as they often do in the chapel. But something unusual began to happen, which was it didn't end. 
The prayer meeting didn't end. People didn't go home. They carried on praying and they carried on worshipping. And news spread that something was happening in this place. So people began to come. And this is the queue. These are the people that can't get in the chapel. And so rather than waiting in the queue, and I love this scene because you'll see, you'll see people worshipping and praying. You'll see people checking their phone. You'll see people having a picnic. But in the midst of all of this, this is the queue outside the chapel. Hundreds of thousands of people have now gone to see what God is doing at this university campus in Kentucky. And there's something, there's something happening. You know, we might call it an outpouring or an awakening. But the reason I wanted to mention it is um, the other week I heard someone reflecting. Someone had been to visit this to see what was happening from the UK. They've come back and they're kind of reflecting on what is happening in this place. What do we call it? And what do we think God is doing? And so I just want to share a few of their reflections from visiting Asbury, Kentucky. One of the things he said is in this generation of anxiety, mental health crisis amongst people of all ages, but particularly young people, young adults. And this is a movement led by young adults. This person said there was a peace for anxiety. Where there's anxiety and fear for the future, people are experiencing the peace of God. Dave read it beautifully this morning. The shalom of God, the peace of God. People in this place are experiencing humble leadership. Where there's lots of toxic leadership, it's not difficult to look around the world, to look around culture, and sadly to look around the church world and see toxic leadership. One of the things that people are saying about this is there are no leaders, but there is. There is a leadership team. You just don't notice them. No one's making a name for themselves. No one's elevating themselves. Some pastors are going to this and they're trying to lead it or control it. But actually there's a resistance from these young leaders to say, no, Jesus is leading this. The Holy Spirit is leading this. No one's making a name for themselves. Nobody knows who's leading this thing, or a few, only a few people know who's leading this thing. It's a group of young adults who are bewildered. They're thinking, we don't know how this happened. We didn't really mean for this to happen. We started a prayer meeting, and it hasn't ended. There's a humility to their leadership. It looks like Jesus. It smells like Jesus. It tastes like Jesus. There's a humility to this movement. There's community for isolation. These past few years, lots of people have found themselves isolated. A global pandemic has contributed to that. Lots of people have found themselves alone and isolated. But here, as you can see, there's a community. You can also see there's a hunger. There's a hunger for something real. People are done with a fakeness. A fakeness in spirituality, a fakeness in culture, a fakeness in Instagram filters. People are done with a fakeness and they're saying there's a hunger. There's a hunger for God. There's a hunger for truth. There's a hunger for meaning. There's a hunger for his presence. And it's young adult led. I love that. It's led by these younger leaders. Actually, one of their few rules is no one over 25 is allowed the microphone. Because they don't want people who are experts to take over. They don't want to give the microphone to people who might make it their thing. So they're saying the only people sharing from the front are people sharing testimonies of what Jesus has done in their life. And we want students. We want students to share. Why do we hear just a little bit? Why do we hear a little bit of what it sounds like?
Jesus is humility. Paul declares this in Philippians 2. Jesus is humility. And that's what we're seeing in this outpouring, this awakening on this university campus in Kentucky, that there's a humility that's marking this movement. Jesus is servant. He says this himself. Jesus, the Son of God, the author and perfecter, the one who put the stars in the sky. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man, the Son of God, didn't come to lord it over people, but he came as a servant. Jesus embraces humanity. We see this in Philippians 2, being found in appearance as a man. Jesus came as a human being. And I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking, God loves you, which I know is a simple thing to say. And I know it's the kind of thing we should say in church. But I was thinking, God doesn't just love the idea of you. God, you know, you know, we have these romantic notions, don't we, sometimes? I love the idea of a walk in the park. I love the idea of a walk in a forest until I go to a forest. And it's muddy and it's raining and dogs are running at you. And you realize, I'm not a big fan of dogs. So the idea, the romantic notion of a walk in the forest sounds lovely until you're in a forest and it's raining and it's muddy. And that's not the same with God's love. God doesn't just romantically like the idea of loving humanity. No, God became a human. God loves humanity so much. He became human and Jesus embraced the whole human experience. He was born. He was a baby. He was a toddler. He was an adolescent. He was a young man. He was a young adult. He lived and he died and he suffered. Jesus was a real human being. He even faced death and then he conquered death. Now, Jesus embraces your humanity. That's what we see in this beautiful psalm of praise. And maybe for some of us, that's a bit of a word for us this morning. Maybe we look in the mirror and we say, we don't like our humanity. We don't like our hair. You know, we don't like the way we look. And I want you to hear this morning that God doesn't just love the idea of you. God loves you, the human being sat in this room, in the yellow room, sat at home. God loves you. God doesn't just love the idea of you, the romantic notion of you. God loves you. Jesus embraces our humanity. And Jesus, finally, verse 10, is the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul in Philippians 2 declares, Jesus is the name above all names. Guess what? Not Nero. Not Emperor Nero. And not anybody else who exalts himself. Not any other tyrant or despot or dictator or emperor. No other name. Jesus is the name above all names. So, church, this morning, what is our response? Paul wrote these words 2,000 years ago to a community in Philippi, a community that he knew intimately, a church that he planted, a church that he was grateful to and thankful to for their kindness and their generosity. And he wanted to remind them who Jesus was, that Jesus is first, foremost, and central, that Jesus is the name above all names, whatever they're facing, persecution, even imminent death. That Jesus, Paul wanted to say to them, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is name above all names. 
So what, what is our response this morning? If I'm honest, I can only think of one response to this passage, and it's to bow the knee. It's the only response I can think of. It says here, one day, every knee will bow. Well, we might as well do that today. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When I read this passage, when I think about what do I do with this, that's a great question to ask whenever you read Scripture. God, what, what, what am I meant to do with this? What's my response to this passage? What's my response to your word? My only response is we have to bow the knee. We have to bow the knee to King Jesus. And then when we then rise, when we then walk, when we then live out our life, we live differently. A life that surrenders, a life that bows the knee to King Jesus is then lived differently. I heard this story uh, this week about a famous artist uh, and a portrait, uh, a picture that they painted, a Renaissance artist called Lippi. I'm not going to pretend to know anything about Renaissance art, okay? But this is a story that I heard this week. Maybe you are an art expert. Maybe you know Lippi and his work. Maybe you know the Renaissance period. But Lippi was a famous artist, and there was an art critic. This picture hangs in the British Art Gallery. And there was a famous art critic that came to look at this piece of art and consider this piece of art. It's called uh, the, Vir- the Virgin with the Child. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus as a baby. And two saints that are kneeling by um, Mary and Jesus. And this famous art critic was looking at this picture thinking, I don't understand why this hangs in the National Art Gallery. It's a lippy. It's a Renaissance piece. He's famous. The Renaissance era was significant for art. But this picture is all kind of out of perspective. And it's wrong. There's just something wrong about this picture. And he's looking at it stood up, you know, eyeballing this picture, thinking, I don't understand why this picture hangs here. I don't understand the significance of this picture. Then the art critic began to think, what was in Lippi's mind? What was Lippi thinking? Did Lippi think this piece of art would hang on a gallery? No. He began to think, no, Lippi, this was an act of worship. He did this portrait, this picture, as an act of worship. It wasn't designed for a chapel. Sorry, it wasn't designed for a gallery. It was designed for a chapel. It was designed for a place of worship. And if it was in a place of worship, the art critic began to think, maybe I wouldn't be looking at this stood up. Maybe I'd be looking at this knelt down. Maybe I would kneel before this, like these two saints are kneeling before Mary and Jesus. Maybe I would kneel before this. So the art critic sheepishly looked around as he's in the art gallery and thought, I'm going to kneel and see if that gives me a different perspective. And he knelt before the picture and he realized that's how Lippi intended it. Everything changed, the perspective of the picture. He suddenly realized what Lippi intended with this piece of art. And he said this, the picture, the portrait only made sense when you bow the knee. Like Dave was saying before, maybe life isn't making sense. Maybe there's some things that don't make sense right now in life. And it's hard to say why. But I believe that maybe the mystery, maybe there's something that could be revealed to you this morning when you make Jesus first, when you bow the knee. Surrender puts life in perspective. There's something that happens when we say, not me first, not my will first, not my name exalted, but I live to exalt the name of Jesus. I live out of surrender to King Jesus. I live bowing the knee to King Jesus. There's something that shifts 
a perspective shifts. This art critic said, it only made sense when I bow the knee. Maybe, just maybe this morning, your life will begin to make more sense when you bow the knee. When you say, I surrender. King Jesus, your will, your way. I bow the knee to you. So what is our response? What, what else? What else would we do than Jesus first this year? What else would we do in response to this passage, in response to this message, than to bow the knee? So I'm going to lead us in our response. And this is, I've got dodgy knees, so this is going to be hard, hard work for me. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come and bow the knee to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to join as well. Maybe physically you can't bow the knee this morning. Well, maybe your response is to bow your body, to posture yourself and say, I submit, I surrender to King Jesus. Why don't we join together in response? If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at lifelanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our neighbours, our nation and the nations with the good news about Jesus.